0: Devin Hester and Steve McMichael are officially Pro Football Hall of Famers. It's overdue, really, for both of them. So let's make sure we properly remember and celebrate their legendary careers. You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On Bears, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm here to bring you your daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. You can follow me on Twitter at CoxSports1. You can follow the podcast on all of your favorite social media platforms, including the Locked On Bears YouTube channel, where you can keep up with all of our video podcasts as well. Thanks for making Locked On Bears your first listen today. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use our promo code On for $20 off your first purchase. On the show today, we look back over the now Hall of Fame careers of Devin Hester, Steve McMichael, and we'll make some time for Julius Peppers as well, who I think counts as a Chicago Bears Hall of Famer for the four years he spent with this organization. We'll be joined by Larry D. from Bears Talk Underground, who's really great on, like, Bears history. And he's got a great, like, I wouldn't say photographic memory, but, like, encyclopedic memory of recent and past Bears history. So we're going to talk about some of our favorite Devin Hester moments, how we remember Steve McMichael on that 85 Bears team, and what kind of separated him from some of the other great players on that defense, and Julius Pepper's impact as well on those 2010s Bears. And I also want to get into, with Larry... Who else? Who's next? Which former Chicago Bears players that aren't in the Hall of Fame still deserve to get in now that Devin Hester and Steve McMichael are in there? There's a lot of reminiscence, so take a trip down memory lane with us on the podcast today. All right. Joining us now on the Locked On Bears podcast is Larry D, host of the Bears Talk Underground podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at BTU underscore Larry, and you can find Bears Talk Underground anywhere you get your podcasts. Larry, thanks so much for joining us today. And let me start with this. Did you think Devin Hester would make it in the Hall of Fame eventually? Are you surprised he got in
1: this year? What was sort of your reaction to the news, even as it kind of came out early? For me, it was It was always because uh, he's primarily a special teams guy, and we know that it is near impossible for a primarily special teams player to make it in there. I mean, there's what, maybe one or two kickers? Like one kicker and one, uh, you know, punter? Like Ray Guy is the only punter in the NFL uh, Hall of Fame. I thought that if he didn't get in on the first ballot, that he would have to be like Mongo waiting until now as a senior finalist to finally get in. Um, you know, kind of through the back door, uh, if you will. The fact that he has made it now on the third try, I am actually surprised that he's in because of all the competition that he faced after his first ballot opportunity. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Like, I think we both we both
0: strongly believed he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame, but it's a different between like, like I would have put him in first ballot, but once he's not in the first ballot, then you look at all the other players that become eligible each year and it's like, Sure. If the pool never grew, he would get in quickly, but every year, another really good crop of players ultimately adds to that list of guys who should be first ballot this year. And at least I think the the hall of fame committee or the, the voting here has been consistent in like, okay, first ballot is reserved for guys that are maybe a little bit something above and beyond the, the upper echelon of hall of fame. And I think you can make an argument for Devin Hester in that group as well, but the fact that he at least gets in and doesn't have to wait to be a senior uh, addition, like Mongo is definitely a, uh, Definitely a welcomed sight. What do you think yeah. about McMichael getting in now? I mean, certainly it's it's heartwarming when it comes to what he's dealing with with ALS and you know this stage of his life. I mean, it seems to me like I don't know. It's it's hard to feel like it's storybook because he's not going to be able to partake in the same sort right. of celebrations, festivities. But at the same time, like glad he's still
1: alive for it. I mean, how do you sort of weigh that? To me, it's 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 bittersweet, is what yeah. it is. He deserved to be in i mean he he wasn't somebody that was big on stats even though i think he's like still second or third all time in the franchise uh with sacks which most people would probably be surprised to hear is that that he's up there that high uh and everything he was always one of the biggest characters that the bears ever had on the field off the field post career uh and, and everything so it, it's wonderful that he's finally uh in because you can't imagine the 85 bears being the 85 bears without Steve mcmichael and you know it was just an and and a once in a lifetime defense in, in in 85 and and he was a huge huge part of that so it's 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 bittersweet that he's making it in it's great that he finally that he lived long enough to see it especially with the shape uh that he's in so i i hope that uh he can finally be at peace now knowing that he got the the biggest accolade he deserved i'm definitely going to
0: have to rely on you for uh, steve mcmichael memories that i was not alive for we'll we'll get into that in a little bit R- real quick though julius pepper is the other player who maybe isn't going in quote unquote as a chicago bear but right. four seasons four memorable seasons with the bears obviously a lot longer with the carolina panthers also a little bit with the green bay packers i don't know how, how much do you feel like this franchise can claim some small stake in peppers or or do not really re- i mean we remember his time with the bears but he's not really going to be remembered as a bear or, or is four years enough to feel like, okay, we were an important enough part of his journey.
1: Well, the funny thing is, I think that he can still be counted as a member of the bears in the hall of fame, because I, if I'm not mistaken, the bears count Alan page as a hall of famer of theirs, because Alan page played for the bears. Like I think three, four years at the end of his career where he, after he made his hall of fame resume with the purple people leaders in Minnesota. So it very well might be one that the bears can chalk up as one of their own, But uh, he's definitely, as far as like, uh, you know, when you think of Julius Peppers, you think of him being with the Carolina Panthers. Not a bad consolation prize for the Carolina Panthers because in 2001, the Panthers went 1-15. They won the first game of the year, lost 15 straight. And obviously you think that lines them up for the number one pick in the draft. Well, unfortunately, in 2002, that's when the Houston Texans joined the NFL. So they got the number one pick. So not a bad consolation prize to get a Hall of Famer when David Carr was anything but for the Texans. As long as Peppers and and Mongo don't go in as
0: Green Bay Packers, I think that's all the good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's no bueno right
0: there. This episode of Locked on Bears is brought to you by Robinhood. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can also still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from other retirement accounts with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Well, let, let's go back through some of these Hall of Fame careers. Let's let's start with Mongo since we'll go sort of older in, in chronological order. Like, I was not alive for any of his playing career. I don't mean to date myself or make you sound old by comparison, but I know you were. You were a young, a young pup back in Mongo playing days. I was watching through some highlight film of him in some of those 80s defensive lines. And, like, I don't know if it's the, like, the single with the, with the crossbar helmet with the vertical bar and the single bar there that yeah. just makes him look so, like tough and old school, but it's just like, he would leave this path of, of like bodies, you know, blockers would be like flailing to try and stay on him. And there would just be this, this you could like look behind him on his way to the quarterback. There was just people laying on both sides. And it was right. just like a path of destruction that I don't feel like I've been able to properly appreciate. Cause he's not the first or second name that comes to my mind when I think 85 bears defense.
1: Right. And, it, but like I said, he was so integral uh, to that team and their, Success. When I when I think of of Mongo, especially in his his playing days, he wasn't an especially like muscular. It wasn't really a you know you didn't really see a lot of muscles back then. But he was stocky. You know, he was one of those guys that just felt like a load to try and move, even though he wasn't very tall or he only weighed about two hundred and seventy pounds, which is light in today's NFL, especially for an interior defensive lineman. But he was just a force of nature, man. In and out, he was always on the field. Uh, You know, probably playing hurt, knowing the NFL back in those days. But when I think of him, of the guys like him and Dan Hampton, what I think of is the AstroTurf burns from the old uh, Soldier Field surface that they played on, especially back in 85 and uh, 86, was they always had those ugly red burns uh, on their arms. Because, of course, they played bare armed instead of covering up to protect their elbows and forearms from that, uh, you know, terrible carpet the Bears used to play on. What do you think sort of differentiates him from the
0: other guys on that 85 Bears defense? I mean, like they were all ferocious in their own way. I think Mike Ditka once told, said Mc, that McMichael was like, did you say the meanest or the toughest player that he ever coached? Yeah. Like,
1: What kind of what kind of what was his like distinct mark on that team? I think the thing about Mongo, what made him so great is that he wasn't as naturally gifted as the guys around him. He wasn't as good as as McMichael or excuse me, as uh, Singletary or Dan Hampton or Richard Dent. But he was more tenacious than all of them. This was a guy that was not going to give up, and he had a motor that never stopped. And that's what made him so great, was that he was going to keep going from, from the snap to the whistle, and then maybe even a little bit after that as well. Do you think
0: playing on that 85 defense with a number of other Hall of Famers like hurt his Hall of Fame resume or like was part of the reason why it took him so long i mean i think we talk about this a lot with some of those early green bay packers teams where it's like how many members of that elite team can you put all in the hall of fame before Hall of Fame itself starts to say well okay these these players were great we've got to separate them somewhere we can't put all 11 guys on that side of the ball in there i mean do you think that was a factor for him or or we kind of reached we reached the right number of 85 bears in the hall now
1: (laughs) you know and i well actually ask anybody if they think otis wilson or wilbur marshall should be uh, in the Hall of Fame for the for what those animals did when they were uh, wearing bear uh, uniforms, and I think that we're still we've still got a few guys left to go uh, on that defense just to enshrine them as a group, you know, because they did it all together. But I do think that it may be I don't want to say hurt, but it definitely slowed down the fact that you know you had surefire Hall of Famers and Richard Dent and Dan Hampton sharing that defensive line with him, not to speak of you know Singletary behind him and and you know even even guys like Gary Fenzik. He had a Hall of Fame career. He still leads the the team, uh, the franchise history in, in interceptions. You know, and it's been almost forty years since the guy retired. He's still number one on the list.
0: And you mentioned McMichael's size. I was looking it up. He he was listed at six two two seventy. And yeah. for, for comparison, this past season, Mercedes Lewis was listed at two sixty five. So <laughs> like <laughs> about four inches taller. But like, the, the, we talk about like the size that that was the the big defensive tackle back yeah. then. Was was about Mercedes Lewis's size now run, running routes for the Bears, or at least this past season at tight end. Let's well, remember to- of
1: that. I remember real quick. I'm sorry. Remember that '85 team that I've had on my show a couple of times. Emory Moorhead was a tight end. He was six to 220 pounds. That's a <laughs> running back in today's NFL. He, you know, he would be a fullback or a running back in today's NFL. Not a guy up on the offensive line blocking for Walter Payton or anything like that. That would be unheard of today. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing
0: how much bigger and faster these players have gotten over the years, especially that, I mean, that's how you end up with somebody like Devin Hester being just faster than everybody else yeah. on the field. If you had to pick one Devin Hester memory for you that stands out above the rest, I mean, we're talking you know, a couple dozen worth of touchdowns, but it doesn't even have to always be the touchdowns. What, what What's the moment, or if you had to put Maybe they're not the number one is hard to do, but a top three or just what stands out to you at the top of the Devin Hester list?
1: Well, of course, the first one would be the one that kind of made his name, which was the Monday night one against the Cardinals that won the game. Because that game was as bleak as it could possibly be. Grossman personally turning the ball over six times. We only scored on defense. We had one field goal uh, and everything. The offense did nothing uh, offensively. And Devin Hester was the one that, you know, put it over the top in the moment we absolutely needed it he ran it all the way back for the touchdown and that's when people even though i think he had one or two returns up to that point that was the one that was like maybe we should keep an eye uh on this kid and the other one that that jumps out to me is the vikings game in 2007 where it was basically like devin hester versus adrian peterson and there was one where he caught he caught it over over his shoulder he's looking back and in Running uh, away from the ball, catches it over the shoulder, literally splits between like three guys, and then he's off to the races for the touchdown. And then for an encore, he caught an 80 yard touchdown pass from Brian Greasy to send it to, or to almost send it to overtime because Adrian Peterson almost ran it back for a touchdown and they kicked the 55 yarder with zero time left to win that game. So,
0: too many of those Devin Hester memories end with a, but unfortunately, this happened and they lost. Yeah. yeah. They- the one that jumps to mind right away and i i, saw, I know you didn't like intentionally not mention it but i, I think you knew it would be mine anyway uh, the bowl. of the super bowl was yeah. like the, the devin hester hall of fame thing for me is is i don't want to say personal but like it hits home for me because like that 2006 season his rookie year was really when i fell in love with the sport of football and the mm-hmm. chicago bears and it was really led by that explosive freak of nature returning those kicks for a touchdown and like that's that's how I fell in love and like I would not be here today talking to you on this podcast if not for Devin Hester doing what he did in that 2006 season and then when he took that opening kick back for the Super Bowl 10 year old Lauren I hate to admit 10 year old Lauren was (laughs) convinced that the Chicago Bears were winning that Super Bowl and that oh yeah Being a Bears fan would be the greatest thing. I mean, it was all going to be great from there. That was the beginning of the long-term success for the franchise. You win one Super Bowl. And then with that defense, you could win two or three down the line. I mean, things were never going to be down there hill from there. Like that was, that was the peak. Like we were going to be for years and years and years.
1: And and the very next season in 2007 is when the Bears Talk Underground was born. And we haven't been back to the Super Bowl since. So if it's my fault, fault, I'm sorry. I apologize wholeheartedly that 17 seasons in, we haven't made it back to the Super Bowl yet. When I think back about Devin
0: Hester's career, I mean, obviously the, the return touchdowns are I mean, the reason he's in the Hall of Fame, not just the return touchdowns, but also just like the impact on on the Chicago Bears team. Like there was this feeling like, even when the other team scored, like you knew at least after they scored, they mm-hmm. would have to give the ball back to Devin Hester. I mean, they right. could try to get away from him or kick it out of bounds or whatever, but like he, he was in some ways a weapon you could not avoid because even if you weren't kicking it to him and you were trying not to kick it to him, it would become a weapon still for the offense or for the Bears in terms of field position by either kicking it off out of bounds or trying to angle the punt away from him or angle the punt short so he didn't have a chance to return. Like no matter what, you either had to get it to him or automatically grant the Chicago Bears field position. And that level of an ability to dictate what the opponent did and change the game to me is like,
1: what made him a Hall of Famer? Because he, you had to game plan him. I mean, you, special teams was as important as possibly could be when you were playing the Chicago Bears, because you had a one of one in Devin Hester that could do absolutely anything from anywhere on the field. So it's not like, oh, if you get him in the midfield, it's trouble. It, it didn't matter if there was 30 yards between him and the next guy or if there were five guys bearing down on him. He was going to be able to hurt you no matter what. So you had to figure out what you were going to do. Do we want to get up there? Do we want extra hang time so the guys can get there and impact him? Or do we want these short kicks so that we can spread out and you know clog up all the lanes for him to run into? You had to spend not just a few moments or a a phase, you had to spend actual huge chunks of practice preparing for this minute part of the game plan, or at least the minute part of the game. It's maybe, what, four or five plays in a game that you have to count for, but Devin Hester could hurt you with all five uh, if you let him, so you had to have that on lock before you could move on with the rest of your day because Devin Hester could blow a game wide open. I mean, the first one that comes to mind for me Number one is that game against St. Louis on Monday night in 2006, where he ran two kicks back for a touchdown. And then a year later, he did the same thing against Denver. You know, that the Bears were in that game because Devin Hester ran two touchdowns back for or two kicks back for a touchdown. He was that kind of game wrecker uh, from, the from, you know, whenever he returned the ball. This episode of Locked
0: on Bears is brought to you by Nissan. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further? Ever wonder what adventure could be around the next corner? Well, our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the next level. How about the 2024 Nissan Rogue? It's perfect for city drives and great escapes. I actually rented a new Nissan Rogue when I was down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl a couple weeks ago, and I really loved driving it around. Super convenient, connects right with your phone. It sits up high. It's a fast, convenient drive. It has a little get up and go as well. It's just comfortable, cool, calm, collected, Got everything you're looking for in a vehicle. Nissan's incredible lineup also includes the 2024 Pathfinder and the 2024 Nissan Armada that can change really what you would expect from a full-size SUV. Picture a rugged 4x4 that can seat up to eight in first-class luxury and style. Take the Nissan Rogue, Nissan Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada and go find your next big adventure. Shop NissanUSA.com. Locked on Bears is also brought to you by our friends at prize Picks. The big game is right around the corner, and prize Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to turn every game-changing moment into a 100 times your money with as little as four correct picks. You can turn $10 into $1,000. Picks sets a projection for every player in the game, and you pick whether they perform better or worse than that prize Picks projection. And they've got a special prize pick for this game with Patrick Mahomes, just needs to throw more than one yard in the big game, and you can win on prize picks. You pair that up with three other picks, and you're going to get 100 times your money just by getting your picks right on Sunday. It's a lot of fun, and it's a great way to have some extra stakes involved in the game. Go to prizepicks.com slash NFL and use our promo code LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. And don't forget, if Patrick Mahomes throws for more than one yard in the big game, you win on prize picks it's prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL. Another hall of famer in an era of Chicago bears football that we don't think of being loaded with hall of famers, but now you got, you got Devin Hester, you've got Brian Urlacher from that era as well. I guess, I mean, Julius Peppers was technically part of that. uh, I mean, a portion of that Chicago bears era, not as much overlap With Devin Hester, I guess Hester was there for three or three of the the Julius Peppers years towards the end there. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. How do you sort of think about the Julius Peppers age of of the Bears defense? I remember him being kind of like the mercenary. It was like, okay, this was going to be the missing piece for this defensive line to put that defense over the top and get this team back to the Super Bowl. And I guess he helped get them back to the NFC championship game. But then that was kind of as far as it went.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, that was also a time where we we sold the farm to get Jay Cutler, and then didn't give him any weapons until it was almost too late, you know, because we didn't get him Brandon Marshall until three or four years later. So, I mean, all due respect to Devin Hester, when he's your number one receiver, you've got some work to do on the offensive side of the ball. And Matt Forte couldn't do it uh, all by himself. And God loved Desmond Clark and everything that he could do, but he wasn't a Travis Kelsey or an Antonio Gates. Or anything like that. So if you stop these one-two guys, you know it was it was an unfortunate time period right there because the Bears were really good. They were always seen to be one or two players away, but they could never find uh, those guys that pushed them over the top. And Julius Peppers was definitely one of those guys that you thought could make uh, a difference. And in 2010, that's he would, that was an All-Pro season uh, for him. That was the year he signed that you know record-breaking contract to join the team, and he was otherworldly uh, in that first season. And, and I talk so much on the podcast. I remember this vividly about how he was doing things that you will not find on the stat sheet. He took up three guys to left, you know, Briggs and Urlacher wide open, you know, to come in and make a tackle or, or, or you know, something to that effect. It was so much that he was doing or how disruptive he was, especially in the running game where he could just slant across like two offensive linemen's face and be in the backfield before anybody laid a finger on him. It was unbelievable watching him in 2010. Yeah, you make a great point. Like, I was just looking back in that 2010 season. You know, he was
0: he was in the I think he finished fourth in the defensive player of the year voting. He was all pro pro bowler. He had eight sacks. Like, yeah, it's not a that's not a defensive all pro pro bowl necessarily type stat line alone, but you throw in the forced fumbles, the pass breakups, he had a couple of interceptions, a bunch of tackles for loss, a bunch of quarterback hits. And then you mentioned like all the different things he did in the dirty work. Like it's, it feels like he was a player that we didn't have a great way to fully measure how big his impact was. But I think you saw it in like the elevation of the level of play of everyone else around him in the defense. And then him still, in spite of like all the double and triple teams he got still getting eight
1: sacks on top of that. Yeah. And because he was one of those he was another one of those guys to go along with Briggs uh and Erlacher where you always have to know where he is on the field cuz the Bears like to move him around. You know, he wasn't just a defensive end. Sometimes they put him up in the in the middle right over the center and, and you know and things like that because he was big enough to be able to uh to handle it. So it was just another thing where it's like that's quarterback's got to find all three of those guys and you know contend with with uh with Chris Harris and peanut Tillman and, you know, the other guys that were, you know, in the secondary of that uh, football team. Well, since you mentioned Lance Briggs, you
0: mentioned peanut Tillman, who else do you think that's not in the current hall of fame as far as former Chicago bears belongs? in? I, I am a big believer that Charles Tillman that the peanut punch. I mean, still gets talked about. That's what we call yeah. those forced fumbles. I and mean, he, I mean, there's not great historical records for forced fumbles in that way, but all the interceptions, all the forced fumbles to me makes Charles Tillman a future Hall of Famer. I'm, I struggle with Lance Briggs a little bit just because there's so many great linebackers and like he was very, 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 very good and he's an all time Chicago Bear, but is he a Hall of Fame player? I mean, I, I can, I'm not saying he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame, but I'm not as like upset. Lance Briggs isn't in the Hall of Fame just yet. I guess, first of all, where do you land on those two? And are there other names from recent or longer term Bears history that you think need to be in the Hall?
1: Well, you you want to talk about a guy that was hurt by the guy he was playing next to. That's definitely Lance Briggs, because if he wasn't playing side by side with a first ballot Hall of Famer and Brian Erlacher for the entirety of his career, because Erlacher was there just a little bit before. And I think he only played maybe maybe one or two seasons without Erlacher. And those were not really great seasons for the Bears or the Bears defense, specifically 2013, 2014. Those were terrible years under Mel Tucker uh, on defense, you know, during the Trestman uh, years. But talk about a guy who made the Pro Bowls or should have probably made more. But he was hurt by the fact that he was technically an outside linebacker when most outside linebackers were not edge rushers. You know, we were still transitioning to those actually being different positions. So he was being hurt by outside linebackers who were pass rushers getting sacks and, and making more of a statistical impact than, than Briggs got to make. And when you have a move named after you, I think that means you should, that you were an all-time kind of player. And even though he had to wait 12 seasons, I think, to make his first uh, Pro Bowl, Pina Tillman was a very, very underrated guy throughout the majority the great majority of his career. He was always one of the best corners in the league during his entire career it feels like, like
0: he's almost like remembered more fondly than we thought that not we, but then, than he was nationally thought of at the time. Like, I remember there was this perception for Tillman that like, oh, he's just a cover two corner. He's just a zone corner. Like, mm-hmm. like those guys aren't as good or aren't as valuable as like the Darrell Revis. I mean, at the time where it was just Revis Island, you put him one-on-one in man coverage and he was going to lock everyone down. But Charles Tillman played in that Lovey Smith Tampa two defense. So he's not, You know, he's not as good or not being asked to do the same things when, I mean, he was still playing man coverage plenty in those games, too. Like, it it felt like a a false narrative at the time for Tillman. That in hindsight, I think nationally, the NFL media and and larger, like, you know, uh, retrospect, like understands that no, he was actually better than we gave him credit for at the time. And I guess that leaves me optimistic that he could get in the hall. But at the same time, like we talked about with Devin, every year, really good players get added to the list, and you wonder, like, Is he going to have that year where he can sneak in or are there always going to be better players ahead of him?
1: Well, go and ask a guy like Megatron, Calvin Johnson, who was the guy that he liked to play against the least. And he will tell you that it was Charles Tillman because that was a guy that basically disappeared from the stat sheet when he played the Bears twice a year. You know, Megatron would make a play here and there, but he wouldn't take over a football game like he would when he wasn't playing against Charles Tillman. So, you know, that was the best wide receiver of that particular uh, era. And you know, Peanut had him shut down. And it, even though he wasn't the quote unquote shutdown corner, when Peanut was on Megatron, we had a 50-50 shot of slowing that guy down. And that was as good as anybody could do against him in those days. Do you think Olin Krutz can make it into the Hall of Fame? Six straight Pro
0: Bowls, I think. But yeah. it's hard with offensive linemen. Like, it's a reputation thing. And I think he had that in Chicago. Does he have that
1: reputation nationally? I think he does because part of the Pro Bowl voting is the players. So, I mean, that's only a third of it, but it's like, I think Olin had the respect around the league. I, if you're talking about a guy that we can talk about about 10, 15 years from now being voted in as a senior, that's definitely a guy that I think gets in around that point. You know, when he's not trying to wrestle his way through, uh, you know, the clat like the Ray Lewis's and things like that to try to get through, uh, and make the, uh, make the hall of fame on, on, a, on, a on a regular ballot. I definitely think he's somebody that probably ten years from now, fifteen years from now, when his eligibility is up, that gets in as a senior for sure. I think so.
0: Let, let me throw two names at you quick, and then we'll get out of here. Of okay. players you might not immediately associate as Chicago Bears, but you might you but and you might not immediately associate as Hall of Famers, but that's the, because they're on the fence for me. But they're guys that w- would make count as Chicago Bears Hall of Famers. Greg Olson, Brandon Marshall, for sure. You think yeah. they're both Hall of Famers? I mean, Brandon Marshall, yes. Uh, Greg Olson. I don't know. Yeah, because you know, Greg, Greg had, Olson. Greg had three one thousand yard seasons, but I'll finish his career with over eight thousand five hundred yards and sixty touchdowns. Like he's, but only three Pro Bowls. I mean, he's a Bulls, he's yeah. borderline a little bit to me.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree. He would definitely be borderline. But Brandon Marshall, you know, all the numbers are there uh, for him. You know, I, I believe, and he he was great, good to great everywhere that he went. You know. I think that would maybe his reputation would be the one that hurts him since he could never really find a home uh, in the NFL. Did he ever spend any more than three seasons in any place uh, in the NFL? Because I think that was the cap for him was like three years. Boom, on to the next kind of thing. Technically,
0: he lasted four years in Denver the first time. But then, yeah, Ah. two, two in Miami, three in Chicago two with the jets i forgot he was a new york giant for a year and a seattle seahawk at
1: the very end so you know what i was pulling for him when he was with the seahawks because in it as historic as his career was he never made the playoffs which i think would be the thing that really hurts him from from getting in was that we never got to see brandon marshall in the postseason and he never he never recorded a stat in a playoff game at least Uh, (laughs) because none of his teams ever made the playoffs because 2012, 13, and 14, the Bears did not make the playoffs. You know, the years in Miami and in Denver, uh, you know, I think the best shot was like his rookie year when they were like, they played San Diego, the Chargers at the time for the division title in the last week of the season, and the Chargers beat them, so they didn't make the playoffs. I think that's as close as Brandon Marshall ever got. It's crazy that a guy who had 1,500 yards
0: twice and, you know, 1,000 yards for most of his career never had a shot to get in the playoffs, but I agree. I think the longevity there gets him in. Larry, you've been a Hall of Fame caliber guest with us on the podcast today. Appreciate using your uh, your longer memory of Chicago Bears history <laughs> than mine. Uh, let everybody know where they can find your podcast and your other work online.
1: Well, you can find it uh, anywhere that you um, can find your podcast, uh, Apple, Spotify, uh, you name it. It's uh, Bear Stock Underground. You can find me on Instagram and on X slash Twitter, whatever the kids are calling it these days at BTU uh, underscore Larry. Great. Larry, thanks so much for joining us today, and I'm sure we'll do it again soon.
0: Sounds good, man. Thanks again to Larry D. from Bears Talk Underground for joining us on the podcast today. If you enjoyed our conversation, make sure you hit that subscribe button on the Lockdown Bears YouTube channel or wherever you listen to the podcast. That's going to be the best way to keep up with all of our daily in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. I'd love to hear your favorite Devin Hester and Steve McMichael and Julius Peppers moments from their Bears career. Leave us a comment here on the Lockdown Bears YouTube channel. Or you can tweet us at Lockdown Bears. You can post in the Lockdown Bears Facebook group. However you do, it, just make sure you're making Lockdown Bears your first listen each and every day. Coming up next week, I want to try and get to know Bears offensive coordinator Shane Waldron a little bit more, working on kind of a different style of the Lockdown Bears podcast to really kind of dive deep on Shane Waldron in his own words. I'm hoping to have that ready for Monday's podcast and going to try and get some other special guests on in the coming weeks ahead of the NFL Scouting Combine, ahead of free agency. A lot to keep breaking down for you all offseason long. So we're always going to make sure that every single day you have another opportunity to bear down.